White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. This summer, enjoy a Plymouth gin and tonic. Just add tonic, ice, and a slice of orange for the perfect cocktail every time. Plymouth gin is distilled using a blend of seven hand-selected botanicals, always staying true to Plymouth's original recipe. Plymouth gin, since 1793. Welcome to the Razball Prospect Podcast. I'm here with my host, Lance. We uh, have a big week this week. It is the Red Sox week. I wish I could say that I was excited to talk about my hometown team, the team that I grew up rooting for ever since I was uh, six feet tall wearing a sailor suit. That's right. I came out of my mother's womb six feet tall wearing a sailor suit. I've always been this height. I've never been any smaller. Um, I feel like there was a Will Ferrell bit. But anyway, it's a big week, actually, because we have... uh, John Calvagno from Sally Notes on. Um, John follows uh, Sally League, but uh, in general, I, I think Red Sox predominantly, uh, Greenville in particular. And uh, I'm excited to have him on. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Ralph. Lance, glad to be here. Stoked to have you, John. This is going to be fun. This is, yeah. yes, we have to, rem- we try to remove all the bias possible from Ralph on this, right? Like we have to censor mm. everything he's saying and make sure it's <laughs> legit. But no, I, honestly though, Ralph, you're pretty critical of the Sox system. So, uh, he totally uh, is I'm excited. like, it's good. You got to be critical of your own team. I think that's very important. Well, <laughs> I actually, I, I have this belief that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sort of an, I'm 35, but I, I feel like I'm sort of an old soul for a Red Sox fan. And when I say that, I think that there was definitely a phenomenon with my generation, folks a little bit younger than me, where they're more like entitled Red Sox fans. Like when they came to the team, they grew up rooting for great players and, you know, you know, or the teams were already winning. They were, they were, you know, in the playoffs, they were winning world series. We're like, you know, I remember pre Pedro, you know, like my first game I ever went to as a Red Sox fan, I think it's probably going to be part of the slant in the intro here. Um, You know, I saw Saberhagen versus Clemens in 88 at Fenway park. And uh, I was six years old that I remember it like it was like yesterday. You know, George Brett was on that team, um, you know, the, the Royals, um, you know, on the other side, Ellis Burks. I remember Lee Smith saved the game for the Red Sox. Um, you know, some great players in those teams like uh, Wade Boggs is probably my all time favorite player. Um, you know, I grew up going to Pawtucket games. I grew up right down the road from Pawtucket. So, you know, I remember we were like waiting outside to get like Mo Vaughn's autograph, John Valentin's autograph when he was coming up. 
uh, you know, a couple other guys, players that busted, like Kevin Plimpton, who was a pitcher. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, this team is – this system is, is is emotional for me. Like, I'm, I'm like, on the edge of tears right now. Like, <laughs> Jiro, he's this one, like, like, I see yeah, I mean, like, I remember, like, you know, like, like this, there's an all-time favorite player. I was talking to Gray about this before, and it's funny because he had a pop-up season with the, the Padres, I think, in 92 or 93. And it was uh, uh, a right fielder by the name of Phil Plantier. He hit, he's a power hitter. He actually was a, a, a hitting coach for the Padres a few years ago and got fired. Um, but he had this really weird – um, sort of uh, style in the batter's box, right? So he would squat down like he was taking a dump. I, I, I'm not exaggerating either. Style, you can yeah. Google it. Like, actually got down super, super low. And then when he would get two strikes on him, he would move all the way to the back of the batter's box, and he would stand, like, perfectly straight like a pencil with his feet together. And then he would, like, clock a homer, like, like opposite field. Like, this guy was a phenomenal hitter, was a really good power hitter. I, 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 you know, I don't know if he had a, a steroid-induced year and was just sort of a, a, a good minor league hitter, but I, I can still remember that year, and he had a good half a year with the Red Sox, actually. I think whatever year he first came up, I want to say it was, like, 92. But, like, I went to those games, like, I probably went to, like, 40 games that year. You know, like, I have Scott Cooper was on that team, Mo Vaughn, I guess at Valentin. Um, so I've always loved – that's where I fell in love with the Red Sox. It wasn't necessarily – watching the Boston Red Sox, it was watching the Paw Sox and then cheering for those guys going in. And, and I, I mean, I can go even deeper in, like, um, there was a guy, my, my father was an attorney growing up, and uh, one of his partners, actually, was this this uh, this guy who played um, D1 college ball around here. I think it was maybe Babson might have been D1 at the time, or, or D2. Um, and, he, and he grew up playing with this guy, Mickey Pina, who made it all the way up to uh, AAA and got, you know, Maybe maybe got a, a game or two with the Red Sox. I'm not even sure. I know he, he hit a couple home runs when spring training, and they thought he was going to make the team, but he didn't. But, like, I knew this guy. Like, uh, you know, he worked at the gym that my family worked out at, and it was, like, a big gym, and I would go in there and, like, play basketball. This dude would, like, come in and, like, shoot hoops with me. So, like, I, I, I have an emotional connection to the Red Sox farm system, more so than I do to, like, the Boston Red Sox. Um, and I still go to a lot more minor league games in, in terms of Red Sox affiliates than I go to Red Sox games here because I can afford to, you know, um, it's, it, I mean, Fenway is incredibly expensive. It just, it just is. So I think that that is, is what's different about me than a lot of Red Sox fans. And I think the other thing is like, I remember when the team sucked for a few years and, and, you know, when they really didn't go out and like, you know, sign the best players, it was always like Andre Dawson when it was like past his prime, Jose Canseco when he was past his prime, you know, so on and so forth. Um, it really wasn't until this ownership group where they had, you know, a, 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 a vision I felt like, and it was regardless of who was in, in charge of, uh, uh, of a baseball decision, but I'm, I'm, I'm like rambling now. So Lance cut me off. What, what, are you, <laughs> what's, go, what's been going on with your week? What do you think about the Red Sox system? I mean, my week's been good. Pretty hectic. I was actually just on with, with Casey Bubba doing a little pod we were talking some baseball we nice. actually went we bantered so much that we didn't even get into any fantasy stuff so uh um it was pretty funny like i looked up and um i, I synced it up so i did it just before this but uh but it was a ton of fun talking to him um yeah and i'm doing a little pod after this too i'm gonna start up my own again and kind of <laughs> try to differentiate so i'm like three hours of podcasting and one night is like awesome i'm like amped my voice is kind of dying already i can already tell it i don't know what to do but if i start just okay. sounding like I don't know. Like I've screamed for the last hour. It's all my fault. But, <laughs> but John, how you doing, man? 
I'm doing all right. Uh, I uh, a little Dave Dabrowski kind of created a situation where we could uh, maybe have mm. a second pod with just about Dombrowski traded players. <laughs> but um, very true. Yeah, the situation. Yeah, you know the the sucks. You know, I mean, I I get it. He's going all in, and I guess he probably should with the the, the young talent on the on the field in Boston. But you know, it kind of gets me sad when I look at the uh, when I go over to Sox prospects and look at their top 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 twenty. <laughs> I get yeah. a little sad. <laughs> yeah, this this system is loaded with uh, with pretty much with Chavis and, and Grom, so it's it's a little top heavy. Um, you got the two guys there, and then. You start looking past that, and it really turns into a two through yeah. like twelve, where it's just kind of a mass of guys, and you can pick out your favorites and make an argument for any of them. But uh, I'm actually, I'm actually looking forward to hearing your takes on this, Lance, because I know you're a draft guy. And yeah, I thought yeah. it looked like from a distance. I'm not a draft guy, but it looked like from a distance the Sox had a pretty good, pretty good draft in June, and then followed that up with a pretty good July second too. Mm-hmm. So it did a all right job replenishing. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been upping my my draft acumen, especially for 2018 coming in. So uh, we can dig into some guys here. I mean, I'm I'm excited just to kind of dig into this. I mean, let's start off with Chavis though, like the top guy. I feel like Grom is probably the guy I kind of want to even talk about a little bit more because I think it's more interesting. But just w- the makeup of him as a whole, how young he is, how good he is at this age. But but Chavis as a whole, Ralph, you I believe you've seen him before, correct? I I've never seen the man, the myth, the legend live. But um, what were yeah, your I've impressions from seeing times. him firsthand? Uh, he makes incredibly hard contact, um, and I, I saw him this year, so I've saw I've seen the best of of Michael Chavez. Um, now there isn't a lot of approach there. You know, he's not a guy that's gonna gonna have a necessarily a high walk rate. I don't see him hitting for a high average, but um, when you do hear him make contact, I think I saw him hit a home home run actually when I was in Hartford, or if it was a loud double, I can't remember, but it was a, a really you know, a very hard hit ball to center field, and um, when he makes contact, it's loud. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of rockets off the bat. Now, com- compared to uh, Raphael Devers, not not quite that level. But, um, you know, between him, Brendan Rodgers, and, and Chavez that day, there were, you know, three guys who hit the ball incredibly hard. And, um, you know, I, I think he's the kind of guy that could turn into like a Todd Frazier sort of uh, Mike Moustakis, sort of a third baseman. Like, I, I think all, that ultimately that's his ceiling. He's only 5'10". I don't see him moving over to the first base and necessarily sticking there. I think Chavez is going to end up getting traded. Um, and they don't really need the position at this point. Now, I don't know if there if there's maybe some whispers about uh, Devers potentially moving over to first base at some point. But from my understanding, that's, that's not coming down the pike uh, for at least a few years. So I don't know whether it leaves Chavez necessarily in the system. But I do think he's a future major leaguer. And uh, I think that his skill set would play in this environment, particularly like, you know, bringing it back to the fantasy angle, you know, the five by five situation where, you know, maybe he kills you in batting average, going to hit a lot of homers. And I think on the right team, you know, it could be a, a decent five or a six hitter. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually I went back. I always do digging on, on video that I can find on guys I haven't seen. But I, I went back and I looked through some old high school tape of him, actually. And I, I was actually most impressed with what they did to his swing between high school and now, if you look at the differences between it um, back in high school, he used to kind of come up with his weight a lot. He wasn't transferring properly from my understanding as to how hitters flow mechanically and stuff. And I found it pretty interesting. And I always like when things like this happen adjustment wise, it's always so hard to find 
who made the adjustment or what caused the player to make the adjustment. But I'm going to I'm going to put it on the Red Sox. I assume it was them to some extent, but he, he's got a little bit bigger of a light kick. Now he transfers his weight beautifully. I like his swing a lot. It's a really long follow through as a whole, but it's something that I've I was think I was relatively lukewarm in him when when I think all the buzz kind of started. But I mean, the more I kind of look at him, the more I look at what he's done. Like he's he's got a beautiful floor as a whole. If you're a Red Sox fan, like I think you want to see him sooner than later to see exactly what the upside is. And if you come back to the fantasy angle of it, try to understand that upside, you know, batting average is something I feel like a lot of people punt often. And I think Chavis can kind of maybe produce in multiple areas and not necessarily there, but, uh, but he's an interesting guy as a whole. Like the, you mentioned the hard contact. That's something I've heard from legitimately everyone. And it's uh, you, when you hear something that much, it's, it's resounding and you start to believe it. If even if you're not a scout or whatever you want to say, but, but John, do you have any thoughts on, on Chavis at all? How do you say it? Yeah, Chavis? Uh, Chavis? I always call him Michael Chavis for what it's worth. He might be Chavis. Um, uh, I, I didn't get any recent looks. I saw him probably 30 at bats over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ralph would probably be a better authority here. But what I saw was a, electric bat speed. Um, he can do damage if he, if, he, if he gets the bat on the ball. But he was extremely aggressive in trying to lift and pull everything when my looks so mm-hmm. interesting um better approach obviously he must have did something because he really took off in salem this year and salem's not a not a hitter's park at all in fact he uh he he broke the record for home runs in that park mm. wow. and he did it in in the first half so um yeah, interesting. um so you i mean you look at him too really i think he's I, you know the plus the the power is going to play. It's just how, you know, how much is he going to get in the games? Yeah. It's um, with, with Salem, you're saying he, he killed it there. You know, when he jumped up double A, his average fell about 60 points, but his power stuck. So that's something you look at too. Like he was batting like 318 with Salem. And I mean, a lot of that you're saying it seems John was pull, but uh, that, that falls yeah. down to double A with Portland. And it's becomes a little bit more concerning from the average side, as you're saying, Ralph, but um, no doubt. Um, I guess kind of the projection looking forward, like what's the ETA do you think, Ralph? Um, I, you know, I think it depends on how good of a year he has this year. Cause I do think he's going to end up probably in Portland to start, um, unless he has a tremendous camp, but I imagine he's going to be Portland to start. We'll see him in Pawtucket. Maybe, you know, if he has a good, uh, two months, maybe early June, I think there's an outside chance we see him in September, uh, when rosters expand, I think he could be a September call up. Uh, but more likely, I think, you know, when he's up for good, it's probably going to be 2019. Uh, so probably sometime I would say, you know, between May and July of 2019, ultimately. But I, I, I do feel still feel that he's going to end up getting traded at some point uh, when they need to add to this team. He just seems like the most tradable piece. Do you don't think uh, there's any chance he moves to second? You know, I've, I've heard that. and I, I know that there's been speculation that he could potentially move to second. I think I might have read it on Baseball America in the chat or something like that. Um, it wouldn't be a bad move, but, um, you know, off the top of my head, I don't remember how many years Dustin Pedroia has left at second base, but I would be, I don't know. That seems like that would be an emotional move for them to move on from Pedroia as much as I would like to see it. I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> going to be the case, you know? No, I agree. Any, any final passing thoughts on, on Chavis here? John, um, I, I, uh, I was going to ask are... Ralph about yeah. his general impression about the third base defense because I watched I watched a fair amount of it in, in uh, Sally and I thought he had some pretty lazy footwork. 
and uh, inconsistent, inconsistent footwork, and it, which led to a lot of throwing errors. He also didn't seem to go to his left very well. I'm kind of wondering if I don't know if, if I see the range necessary for second. I thought maybe he might end up in left field. But. Yeah, and I, I thought it was kind of strange, too, um, if they would consider second, because I, I don't think he moves that well, like you said. Um, you know, I, he was kind of darting and diving for a lot of balls and, and not necessarily moving to the ball a lot of the time, the, the stuff that I thought he probably could have gotten to. Um, but the the problem was I only saw him one game at third base. Uh, the other two, uh, Devers was at third, so he was DHing. So I only saw one game, uh, a defense, and I didn't think it was great. I thought his arm was solid, though, uh, oh, yeah, so yeah. maybe he could potentially play, you know, in a, in a corner outfield position. Um, but I don't, I don't see him necessarily fitting in, you know, as a right fielder. But you no, know, maybe Fenway Park left field if they move Jackie Bradley Jr. I guess, it, I guess it could happen. I mean, there's a sort of a, a perfect situation where uh, he continues to mash. Maybe he adds a little approach, you know, improves his pitch recognition, um, which I think happened a little bit this year, and uh, you know. <laughs> Somehow ends up on the major league roster, but I don't. I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I think he's going to be a third baseman. And I think he's going to get moved. It just seems like I, he'll probably get moved. Like by the time this podcast comes out, just because I'm saying. It. <laughs> so, so on the on the value they're getting back with a guy like this, though. I, I mean, he's consensus top 100. I'm sure. I feel like he'll probably be top 50 on a lot of boards. In my impression, yeah. maybe even a little bit higher than that. What's the value they're going to get back? Is this something where they might be able to flip for like? I don't Machado doesn't really fit, but that level caliber of player come deadline time, or is it a little bit less than that? You know, I, I sort of figure it was going to be like a, you know, Jose Abreu is who they go after someone like that. You know, I don't, I don't see the Orioles making a trade within the division, but I think it could be another pitcher. Uh, but Dave Dombrowski, I mean, it could, it could be anything, but it's gonna, it could be another hitter if they miss out on JD Martinez um, or it could be something in season, you know, with there's an injury, there's a needed particular position, uh, some reinforcements, and I, I, he's he's you know promised he promised you that he's going to overpay. So I, I just it's so <laughs> difficult. It's it's true. It's so difficult for me to give you value on what I think you know Chavis would get back. Now I will say this: I think there's a limited number of uh, corner infield prospects, particularly at third base at the moment, that have even like a 60 percent chance of sticking there. And I think that uh, Chavis has that. So um, I think I think that's where his value may draw from is there's just a limited number of good corner uh, corner uh, infielders at this point. I was just thinking maybe an impact, an impact reliever, eighth, ninth inning guy, maybe. Or maybe as part of a bigger package, like Ralph mentioned, <laughs> mm-hmm. like a brew, a brew. Well, that's all Dombrowski trades for is uh, eighth, ninth inning guys, I feel like, <laughs> right? He's only made he's only made three or four of those trades now. We never have a pen. He trades for trades and trades and trades. We never get a pen. Well, because they blow because the, they blow their elbows out like like they had the Mets doctors doing the physicals before they came into Boston. <laughs> but don't I mean, worry, we're, talking about, we're talking about Chavis here, and and one of the things I, I know, Ralph, you have in the notes here that I'm kind of interested in getting both your takes. I guess we could start with John on it. Is the Sox overall development? with hitters has been relatively more successful than with pitching. And and we're kind of wondering here, you know, do we think this changes under Dombrowski, John? Do you think this is something that 
you know, you start to see more guys like a system, you know, not to bring in my team, but the Cardinals have done a great job developing pitching. And is it kind of veer that way to some extent with Dombrowski as a whole? Or what are your thoughts on just the developmental aspect and them trying to get some of these guys that were, we're going to get through this list and we're going to see a lot of relief, reliever arms that maybe aren't as projectable as like the Groms and stuff of the world. But um, do you see them pumping out a bunch of arms or do you think it just turns into the Devers, Chavis type bats? Yeah, uh, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. They haven't had much luck. That's, you can't argue that. Um, deliver, particularly with starting pitching, seems they're trade most of, but the attrition rates across the minors are pretty high. Um, I just think it's, you know, bad luck of the dice. I don't, I don't, I think they got the right people in place, you know. Um, Bannister, you know, they got a lot of, they got a lot of quality, uh, pitching coaches all the way up the chain. So, I think it's just bad luck. Um, and maybe not a high enough volume of quality arms. You know, the, like, to take a, take a team like Atlanta who has 20 quality arms, they're probably going to get six or seven really good ones at the major league level. We probably have three really good ones and may score one, you know. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Do you have any thoughts on that, Ralph? on your team here actually developing pitching for once <laughs> yeah um well it, it's been a while and there was a, a brief moment where they did develop a couple of guys um you know with lester and, and sort of buckles and that's mm-hmm. sort of the last two two big starters that they've really developed um i don't know if i really consider uh eduardo rodriguez um you know a red Sox prospect truthfully i mean he was more or less in the minors for what like half a season before he finally came up to the red Sox uh post-trade but you know, it's difficult because I don't want to necessarily blame pitching coaches or anything like that, but I think it was an organizational philosophy where they just drafted heavily with position players for a long time, and that's what they targeted, and that's what they were able to develop, and you see that um, throughout the major league team at this point. I mean, even guys that are left over sort of from that first wave of talent, maybe with like, you know, the Pedroids and some of those guys maybe who came up with like a Eucalyptus or someone um, is still sticking around. Um, and then you have, you know, Mookie and, and, and Benintendi and, and Bradley, uh, who were all, you know, fairly high picks, um, not Mookie as much as obviously Benintendi or Bradley, but they've, they've focused on that. They focused on that in the off, in, in the, uh, international market and the couple of arms that they did, you know, you know, grab with, uh, you know, Anderson Espinosa. And then a lot of these sort of lower level hard, hard throwers, um, one, you know, Jose, Al, um, uh, uh Almonte being one that comes to mind, uh, were traded off. Other guys were sort of thrown in with uh, uh, the Thornburg deal, which is just like an all-time <laughs> baffle at this point with Travis Shaw being you know sent out the door. That's another guy that you know was sort of forgotten about in the Red Sox system for a while, and then all of a sudden turned into a pretty quality major leaguer. So um, the the old regime just did a good job of position players, and maybe they just stuck to that. They knew there was value. And they could trade those guys and add pitching. Eventually, they did. Um, of course, it wasn't them that did that. It was Dombrowski. Um, now Dombrowski seems to be focusing more on drafting starters. Their last uh, two first-round picks being Groom, uh, and then this, this year with uh, with Hawk. And they've grabbed some other decent starters in later rounds. You know, Thompson will be one that we'll talk about uh, later in this podcast that I like a lot from from this year as a college starter from uh, Oregon State. And uh, then last year, Michael Schworen from uh, Maryland. So they've, they've grabbed a couple of good ones. I think they need to develop a, a good right-handed starter. 
Uh, it will give them some relief in terms of their spending, too, if they could develop some of their own pitching. Wouldn't have to trade so many prospects. Would help them from the economic side of things. So uh, I would like to see them develop a couple of starters and not trade these guys. Personally, uh, I was glad they didn't make any trades in the offseason. I'd like to see more players in free agency the next couple of years and build the system back up, have some reinforcements to then make a deal as some of these prospects start to develop uh, and some of the talent you may be able to get in the next couple of drafts. So uh, I don't know. That's that's sort of my thing. I, I don't know. Lance, do you want to jump into some pitchers here? Do you want to jump into Jay Groom maybe a little bit? I know you said you were excited to talk about him. So why don't you uh, why don't you hit off the Groom talk? Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in him particularly because he reminds me of a couple pitchers number one from the left side we'll get to those later but i'm most impressed with the overhand delivery and the curve is the biggest thing because to me and what i've heard and the legends i've heard around it's it's basically as close to an unhittable pitch as you can get when he's on and he's relatively okay locating right now he's only 19 years old and i know he's probably not advanced too well through the minors leagues and he hasn't seen the best competition but to me, when you look at a guy like this that has had this much success already and has this curveball that is is devastating to some extent just because he he duplicates the arm slot and the and the release point of it with his fastball so so well that the sequencing on the pitch is just baffling to hitters that you're gonna look at him and you're gonna look at him excelling through the minor leagues and probably see a very consistent picture of what he's going to be. And to some extent that might waver on the control side, and obviously it's gonna come down to developing his other pitches, et cetera. You hear that all the time with other guys, but but John, you've seen you've seen Grom, and we were just talking off air for a little bit that you called him the pitcher of the year for you on the Sally, and uh, I want I want to hear about him. You know, we got the firsthand account; you're the primary source. I want to <laughs> hear about this curve if it really is as good as I've seen on video and have heard. Oh, it's nasty. Yeah, I I like he's six foot six, left-handed. He's he's a little big. He's going to have to watch that weight. To uh, I could see him being two fifty plus in a couple of years. But um, just the delivery is so smooth and so easy, free and easy. He's throwing, he looks like he's throwing about 70 miles an hour. Uh, he came out first inning, it was 93.95. And of course, the devastating curve mixed in a solid change as well. And then he came out second inning, he was 91.93. And I'm, I was a little baffled by it, but. Uh read an interview the next day and he was talking about how, you know, he he he's working on being a pitcher instead of thrower. So he's comfortable in 91, 93. And I think what's going to happen in a few years, he's, that's going to be 93, 94 with the ability to reach for 95, 96 and put it where he wants it. And the devastating put away curve who he can take something off and throw it for first pitch strikes. And he's also, you know, again, the solid change. And I've read others who say it's a potential plus change. I don't know if I saw that, but it's interesting. He's a very good pitcher. He just needs to build innings and stay on the field. But he's yeah. um, very, just very, uh, very looking forward to watching him develop. Yeah, and you, met, you mentioned that curve there and the, the velo on it can drop a little bit. Um, uh, I'll pass it back to Ralph for a sec here. Uh, I don't know your general impressions around him, but I'm, I liked it, the fact that he's basically throwing two curves that he can get the, he, I mean, this is something that happens with a lot of guys. Sure. But the fact that it's this good of a pitch and he can do that and he has this strikeout rate. I know the control is a problem, whatever, but right. I, I don't see honestly with a guy with this good of a curve. I feel like when you see like a guy with one plus plus pitch, you tend to hear a lot of reliever talk around it, but 
I, I don't hear, I personally don't think there's much reliever risk with him. I think that this is a project that the Red Sox want to develop. And I really like that number one, but I mean, just as a whole, Ralph, what's your impression around the curve? If it, how, how does it stack up to some of the other pitches? Like Bueller is a guy from the, from the Dodgers. We, we often hear about having a fantastic curve and we hear about all these other pitches too, just around the major leagues and the minor leagues as being unbelievable. Tanner Scott's fastball, you know, we talked about that a little bit on the Orioles pod, but where does the where does Grom's uh, a curve stack up for you, Ralph? Yeah, and I've seen uh, Groom uh, for an inning or so in in Lowell, um, so I, I've seen him myself. And uh, yeah, the the curve is definitely his best pitch. It's it's a legit you know plus plus pitch now. Um, I would say that you know in terms of curveballs coming off the top of my head, my favorite curveball is is Colby Allard's uh, from the Brave system, and and I would say it's it's. It's on par with that. Um, it's loopy, sort of like uh, like Kershaw's almost. You know, and he's a big body lefty, obviously, like Kershaw's as well. It's not necessarily great in Kershaw. It's obviously crazy. But um, one thing I will say on Groom I wanted to mention uh, uh, that John had mentioned about the body is he's actually working out with Chris Sale this offseason. He's spending the offseason with Chris Sale out in Florida, I guess, working out with him, sort of just living with him. Um, we know about the personal issues off the field. Um, we talked about it in previous podcasts, and I don't really feel like going into it. He had some issues with his father, um, some stuff that he was doing. So uh, maybe that was some of the stuff that was looming around him uh, pre-draft, because this guy was sort of a unanimous number one talent in that 2016 draft um, that I bet the Phillies would prefer to have Jay Groom right now over Mickey Moniak. But <laughs> I might be incorrect, but... I don't know. I mean, I know he had his problems this year, but I think that a lot of the stuff is fixable. And uh, I think something that John really alluded to strong, uh, Lee, is that the profile itself is great. Good fastball, and it's sort of easy, really clean mechanics. I think he hides the ball really well uh, as well. Gets good extension. Uh, And I always try to look at the mechanics. So how naturally is, is the velocity coming? Is he really reaching back for it? He can get it when he needs to. He's got the big body. And if he learns how to maintain it and he really focuses on becoming a pitcher, um, you know, and studies under the tutelage of sale, uh, you know, a lefty with a nasty breaking ball and a, and a good fastball, um, the sky's the limit with this kid. I think there's front end potential. And that's something that they haven't really had uh, in the system, maybe even with with Anderson Espinosa. I don't think that he necessarily, because he was a small righty, I don't think he had this prototype sort of style that that Jay Groom has. So um, I don't know what your impressions are with, with that, Lance. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the fact that he's working out with Sale, I didn't know that until you, you actually just brought it up, Ralph. But I think it's kind of funny to some extent because obviously the conditioning side is something that Sale knows very, very well, being his size too. Um, but the, if you look at arm slot differential, you're basically looking at two completely different pitchers. <laughs> like Sale's legitimate sidearm and Groom's. Oh, like, yeah. The comp I had on him is, is Waka actually from the left side. I think that over the top lies in the curveball. Um, matchup relatively similar. I think, I mean, Groom's curveball is obviously much better. He's going to hide it better than Walker ever will. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I like him a lot. The more I looked at him, the more I dove into this. Like, I just like the projectability and the fact that he's 19 and he's doing this already. Um, so I see very much why you made him your top pitcher, John. It's just one of those things where you fall in love with the pitch, you fall in love with the projectability on the other pitches that he can then add in. And as I said before, I didn't, I really don't see much reliever risk here. And I feel like the rest of this list is that's what's going to come up a lot for us here. We're going to be, oh, so-and-so is good. We're not sure on this pitch, but there's a lot of reliever risk. And for, for Groom, <laughs> for me, even though he's this young, like, I just don't see it. I, I like him a lot. And I'm, I, I'm not sure where I'm going to, he's going to end up on my top 100, Ralph. Um, I'm not sure if you've kind of thought about that a lot, but uh, I think he's up there with the lefties, honestly. 
Um, I, I don't see any really reason why. I think I'll probably have Puck ahead just because he's a little more advanced. But, I mean, Groom's got to be there in, in, in the conversation, I think, um, as a whole. But uh, any parting thoughts on, on Groom? For either of you? Yeah, he was uh he was the last guy off of my top 100 actually in really? in the October version. Yeah. Oh wow. And uh, I think some of the off season news, some of the stuff I've heard thus far, um, some of the stuff I've read from John, I think I'm probably going to sneak him into the back end. But for me, he's still like a, a 85 to like a hundred guy for me, where wow. I think the upside is a lot higher. Um, but I just need to see you know actual results for him That's to move cool. into that. 75 to 40 range and then down from there. But I think, you know, he has the opportunity to be a year and a half from now, maybe even a year from now, if he had an excellent season and full season ball, um, he could be the top two or three lefty in, in all the minors. He's, ca- yeah, he's capable of that. Certainly capable. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm actually kind of surprised you have him that low, Ralph, but I, I understand the results not bargaining for more i guess on the list it's I, i'm interested hmm. to see where i end up with them because I, I think i like everything around a little bit more i'm not sure how much i buy what i saw um this past season as far as a representative of what he can do but hey, then again he is young so it's one of those things yeah like, i want to see him advance through the minors obviously i'd like to try to get a look at him this year some somewhere around the boston area we're both from the boston area me and ralph so uh that'd be interesting to do but i mean let's jump over to another one of the the arms here uh brian mata um, interesting 18 years old. Uh, he's probably even further off than groom to some extent, but he's got a pretty good feel for three pitches. Um, I was actually a little bit surprised with how good three pitches were when I was watching him a bit. I think that he's got a decent blend of the three. And that again, creates another bit of a high floor for me, which I always like. I, this is one of the reasons why I like Kyle Wright so much on, on the Braves podcast as a whole, but I guess we can pass it back to John here. If you've seen Mata at all, or if you've been interested in what you've seen, I did, I watched Grimm. I watched two starts. He's 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 impressive. I, I you know what? I go about you guys probably seen my uh my team previews. I go about 50 60 deep uh coming out of rookie ball and he was nowhere on my radar. <laughs> but uh he came straight out of the Dominican Summer League. But uh he's impressive. Uh a three pitch mix like you mentioned. Uh, high three quarters down. He, he, uh, he pounds down and away from lefties. His pitches are really coming downhill. Um, just, just a rubber arm. Um, didn't lose it at all. 18 year old kid, but he's impressive. Uh, the change a little bit ahead of the curve, but both are, both are, both are at least 50, 55 upside. Um, I don't know what to say. He's, uh, you know, he's he. I could see him actually being on the fast track. You know, getting up, maybe get, maybe getting up to Double A. Maybe late in the season, late se- late season cup of coffee in Portland, and uh, you know, maybe maybe getting a taste in 2019 as a teenager. That that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that young pricing through would be would be pretty insane. You mentioned he's pounding away the lefties, which implies a bit that he has really good command. And we saw that when he jumped up from rookie to A ball that the walk rate stayed around that eight percent mark which i think is, is very important to see that the guy's retaining his command through the upper levels as he progresses k rate went down a little bit but again that's a relatively small sample so i think it's sticking fine and as we're saying it's you know he threw 77 innings um there's still a lot of projection around him to do but i to me on the fantasy side ralph i don't know if you can speak to this at all but it feels like a dirt cheap 
high floor guy to me. Like the fact that he's got three pitches that he's progressing relatively well and he's 18. Like, I'm not sure what the upside is, but I mean, you were mentioning earlier today, Rob, that you're in, in a much deeper league that where, where some of the kids in college are already been drafted. And I mean, this guy, I don't know if he's on many people's radars. I'm sure he might be owned if it's that deep of a league, but I mean, if you're looking at a, like a Raz 30 ish kind of league, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking at like kind of a Raz 30 ish kind of league, I mean, uh, He's an interesting buy. It toss him into a deal. I know I get some questions on Twitter all the time about super deep league prospects, and I haven't heard him out his name too much, honestly. That's funny. Uh, I've mentioned him before, and I actually obviously ranked him number three. I had him in my top 200 in the in the, the midseason, and I drafted him in uh, two of my 30-team leagues. So I'm in three 30-team leagues, one of them being Raz 30. Didn't have him there, I think, because I tipped off the Red Sox guy that they had to keep him. Um, but I drafted him in the fifth round of both of these 30 team leagues. So it's, it's 30 picks, uh, you know, 30 picks per round, obviously, plus their first round has anywhere from five to 10 comp picks between these two leagues. So you're talking about very, very deep. Uh, you can hold on to up to like 80 minors in each of these leagues. So a lot of these guys are drafted and, uh, I was on Mata because I'd heard about him on, on, uh, Sox prospects, maybe about, you know, two years ago during 2016, and uh, I, I had actually heard whispers over the 2016 trade deadline that he was one of the few players that Dombrowski said was actually completely off the table. So uh, when I heard that, that Dave Dombrowski, the, the, the you know, trader Dave, wasn't willing <laughs> to move Mata, I knew that there was something special here. Uh, I started digging in a little bit more, got a little bit more tape. Um, and you see that there's a legitimate three picks, Mitch. Three picks, pitch mix. Wow. Who? Rough. That's my uh, Alex Anthrop- Anthopoulos this week. I almost <laughs> said it wrong again. <laughs> Even though, like, right? Like, we're not getting into this. But anyway, um, let's take it fastball. You know, really nice movement on the fastball. Uh, you know, velocity-wise, it's you know, he's not hitting, you know, mid to high 90s. But you know, he's sort of comfortable in the low 90s. But like I said, great movement on the fastball. That's more important to me than velocity. Uh, he controls it pretty well. Um, you know, nice curveball. Uh, so, he's, you know, he's got he's got good secondaries as well. If there was a change up as well, it's sort of a work in progress. But I think ultimately this guy does have an opportunity to have three above average pitches and potentially have a plus pitch in that that sinking fastball. So um, I like Mata a lot. He's got a lot of polish and uh, he was quite a steal for you know twenty five thousand dollars. He signed out of Venezuela back in 2016. So he moved relatively quickly um, since he signed even for, you know, almost zero dollars. So. Um, I don't know how he slipped through that, that whole scheme. <laughs> it's Altuve money right there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. And, and John, you were mentioning earlier, I think this was on air actually, about the Red Sox having a decent draft as a whole. And one of the guys they chose first round from uh, the last season's draft in June was Tanner Huck. Um, he's big, he's lanky, he's got a funky, funky delivery, but it's a ton of movement. It's, it's a weird motion through to the plate to me. But uh, weird high leg kick, ton of lower body in his delivery, which I don't mind. He's got a weird whip across his body, too. Um, the secondaries are actually not as good as I figured they would be from a guy with this slot to righties. But I feel like this slider can eventually become a sweeping pitch of sorts and probably devastate righties for the most part because he's still relatively young. And he's, he's you know, the striker rate's been pretty good. And he's been able to control everything, which, I, again, I'm kind of surprised with. So I guess everything I'm saying here is that I'm, I'm kind of surprised with what we've seen from Huck. Um, I'm not sure what you've seen of Huck John, but your initial impressions on the the whip delivery he has. I ha- I actually haven't seen him, but um, 
uh, other than video, when I saw video at, around the draft time, it kind of struck me as a potential pen arm based yeah, on uh, yeah. based on effort and low three quarters. But, you know, I can just look at him. You know he's going to be devastating on righties. Just, you know, it's got to be nasty with all those, you know, arms and legs flying at you and the low three quarter. He's pitching folks the third base side of the rubber. He's got to be nasty on righties. Um, he might need something else on first lefties. Can't imagine. I don't know if I, that's something I can see going through a lineup three times. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I hope he comes to Greenville. He may skip. He's, he could be a candidate to go straight to Salem. But um, I was wondering, maybe Ralph saw him over in Lowell. I did. Be, uh, uh... I actually did see him in Lowell. Uh, another another big guy, um, you know, hides the ball really well, actually as well. Um, and, and like you said, he he is he is particularly dominant against righties, uh, and a lot of it has to do with that three quarter arm slot. Um, I thought the slider was a lot better than what I had seen in college. Um, you know, I wasn't really impressed with the pick when they when they made it. There were other guys I I would have preferred at that slot. Um, I think he's a little bit more of a project for a college arm. But I think he's high upside, and we've seen a couple guys like that that had bad sort of uh, last years in college or guys that were some question marks about pen, side, uh, pen risk be pretty good the last few years, uh, one being Alex Hansen. So maybe Tanner Hawk can sort of be Hansen and prove me wrong. Um, so I wasn't really, I wasn't particularly high on him. I will say when I did see uh, an inning of him in Lowell, I thought that uh, he, the slider was better than advertised. Fastball was every bit that, that 70 to 80 grade that you see. That's a great fastball. Um, so I don't know if, if he's more of a, a high octane, like closer setup guy, you know, back end of your bullpen, or if he does, uh, find a way to be able to, you know, hold this and hold that stuff for five, six, seven plus innings at a time. I don't know. Cause I didn't see enough of it. And, uh, you know, he had obviously already played a, a full college season. So I think next year is going to be, uh, the year where a lot of questions get answered, about Hawk and, and ultimately whether he ends up as a really good reliever or sort of a, a, a mid-rotation starter with uh, some strikeout upside but some frustrations in terms of whip because he probably walks a lot of batters. Yeah, that's interesting. And, I mean, the thing is, like, I'm interested to see how many more guys like this become these bullpenning two- to three-inning guys. Like, I was actually just finishing up with column on Josh Hader and from the right side, Huck looks a lot like Hater, just not nearly as good of a slider, probably not as good of a fastball, but it's a mirror image to some extent on the mechanic side of things. And Hater's come up and been in the pen and, and thrown a lot of kind of these two and a third, two and two third kind of outings where he's been dominant. And, you know, the, the projection with Hater is that if you get that change up and come back to the starting rotation and actually get through five innings and get through a lineup three times. And that, I think that's obviously the biggest concern with Huck, but I'm almost thinking, you know, as we see the trend in baseball turning towards the the bullpenning guys, these two, three inning guys, if if you see teams develop a guy like Hook to that to that model, like I know when you look at a guy like Davinsky, he talked about how in the minor leagues he was groomed to be that kind of pitcher, like the two, three inning guy. That's why he came up and was super comfortable with it. And then there's other guys who are just inherently good at it, like Andrew Miller, who just seems to pitch wherever the heck whenever the heck in a game and he's still exactly the same effective wise, whereas some other guys can psych themselves out, but a guy like Huck John, I'm interested to see if you see him projectable enough to get him to like that two to three inning pitch mold where he can be effective enough to kind of swing through a righty heavy part of a lineup and mow them down. 
it sounds like uh, it. It sounds like he can be that. He can be that type of player. I think. I think uh, MLB is definitely going that way with five inning starters. They're going to need, you know, the two inning reliever to pitch sixth, seventh, or maybe seventh, eighth. And he, you know, the the stuff is nasty. Um, again, it's you know maybe righty heavy could be could definitely be an option. Yeah. That's interesting. Six five two twenty. He's he's big and he's got a funky delivery. So I'm interested to see what they do with him. Um, let's do more for some bats now. Uh, we got like three in a row, four in a row, I think, on your list here, Ralph. No, three in a row. So Sam Travis, Josh. I'm gonna butcher this. Okami. No, Okami. That actually came out pretty good. Oh, there we go. Josh Okami. Yeah. Okami. There we go. So the three, probably all at different kind of parts of their career. You got Sam Travis, who was rumored to, obviously. I mean, he got some playing time. Excuse me. Um. And he's kind of one of those guys where we don't really know projection-wise how good he's going to end up being. But as a whole, he was relatively productive. He's not a detriment on really any side of the ball, which is big. And then Okami, big lefty, and then Cole Brandon was, I think, the second or third-round pick of the Sox in 2017. So starting off with Travis Ralph, um, it feels like a utility kind of guy. I see a lot of his power to kind of that right center area from – I know he's obviously going to pull a little bit more as far as just the general projection goes, but um, I, I liked some of the home runs I'd seen from him and how he's driving the ball the other way and going up to center field and going to the right center. He's a little bit of an inside out hitter, which doesn't really beg too much power, but it's interesting as a whole. But I think there was some buzz on the fantasy side of him early on that he could be like an impact bat. And I don't really see that. I'm interested if you do Ralph. Yeah, well, I, I wrote a sleeper post about him uh, back in, in uh, I want to say, early 2016, uh, maybe coming out of camp um, right before when he went to Pawtucket. He was hitting for a little bit, and uh, then he tore up his knee. And I think that this year, in a lot of ways, has sort of been him getting his legs back on, back under him. But I do think he is a player that could be sort of a second division, uh, you know, cleanup hitter, uh, first baseman where he would hit like, you know, 20 to 25 homers, you know, hit, you know, 270, 280 potentially. Um, he makes good contact. He makes a lot of it more of a line drive swing, but I, I think he's a good enough hitter uh, that he could add a little loft to it and, and hit for a little bit more power. Um, and, and there's just something about a guy that doesn't wear batting gloves that I love. Um, and, and I think that's part of it. He was a really good college player, by the way, really good high school player in, in, in Chicago area. Uh, he was actually in that Indiana team uh, with Kyle Schwarber. He hit in the middle of the lineup with Schwarber. And uh, I've liked Travis since college. I thought he was a little bit underrated. And I like when the, when the Sox grabbed him. I do think this is a, an MLB hitter. I just think he's going to take a few years to sort of get there. And I think that uh, him tearing up his knee was a pretty devastating knee injury that he had. I think that's just uh, that takes some time to get back from. And, and I think that 2018, he has an opportunity to sort of reestablish himself, especially if the Red Sox don't do anything else at first base and uh, they just, or even at DH. And they decide to go into the season with Haley Ramirez as their full time DH. I think there's a chance that Travis could platoon with Mitch Moreland. That's interesting. John, your thoughts on, on Travis as a whole and if, if he could actually turn to an impact bat. Yeah, I like Travis. I, I think there's a little bit of prospect prospect fatigue with him because, you know, he's been like knocking on the door for two years now. And then, of course, the torn up knee. Um, I think he can, you know, his swing is kind of geared to Fenway. You kind of mentioned a lot of a lot of left center contact. You know, that plays that plays with the monster. Um, 
I think he can be sneaky effective, you know, like a 270, 280, 20, 25 kind of guy. And, uh, you know, there's there's going to be room for him, I think. Uh, like you said, you know, uh, Mitch Moreland. Again, he's a lefty as well, but and Travis Travis is going to sneaky good player. I'd like to see him get some ABs this year. I'll be interested as well to kind of see how he comes through and if if it actually becomes something that the Sox are willing to try to develop more into someone of of a substantial role on the team, or if if you see them make a move to like a JD, you know, they just sign Moreland and stuff. If he just ends up into a utility guy, almost like a Brock Holt of sorts, he kind of reminds me of Camp, not nearly the same on the positional versatility side, but uh, but in general, uh, Ralph, uh, you want to play some Rotoware? Yeah, I want to give a plug to uh, Rotoware.com. That would be my boy, Kenneth Cashman, uh, congratulations, Kenny, on the birth of uh, your son. He's his second child. Uh, that would be Kingston Jeter. Kingston Jeter Cash. So King Jeter Cash. He's a Yankees fan, obviously. But congratulations on that. Uh, outside of making uh, making babies, uh, Kenny is also killing the fantasy T-shirt game. Highest quality T-shirts, and I really mean that. If you've gotten a Rotoware T-shirt, um, and Lance can attest to this. It is the it, highest quality material. He pays attention to the details, the tags, uh, the logo, like in the bottom of the of the uh, left hand of the shirt, um, the material, just everything about it. Um, it doesn't fade uh, in the laundry, you know, when you run it over and over again. Like I think I've ran my shirts a million times because as a father, I'm always getting, you know, ketchup and everything else on them. But uh, he's got awesome designs. He's got stuff for uh, fantasy football right now. He's got fantasy hockey, fantasy basketball. He's redesigned some of his fantasy baseball shirts. He's going to have some new designs. And he's actually going to do an exclusive Crab Army t-shirt. So any of the fans out there that uh, know what the Crab Army is, following along, want a Crab Army t-shirt, hit, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. I'll put you on the order list just to get me sizes, all that sort of stuff. We can figure it out. But uh, Lance... What do you got to say about Rotoware, my man? Well, Rotoware is awesome. I, I was—I think I said this on the first pod we did, Ralph. But when when you asked me to kind of join up with you and co-host, I think one of the things I was most excited for was the T-shirt. I thought Kenny was going to send me, and he did actually reach out to me and send me it. So I was very very excited about that. It's a ton of fun to kind of get that in the mail. But as you mentioned, the attention to detail is, is bar none. It's it's awesome. He tosses in all these little stickers that I've slapped on random things in my room. And I got the I love my keeper shirt. I wear it to the gym, and I hope that someday someone comes up to me and gets it. And uh, that will be the person I, I hope to talk a lot of baseball with, if so. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he does an unbelievable job. And, yeah, congrats on the kid, man. That's awesome. I saw that on Twitter and super happy for you and your wife. It sounds like everything's going well and health is, is always the biggest thing with children. So we, we wish you the best. And uh, hopefully – I don't know if you guys have any baby size stuff, but I feel like you might have to slap something on them and, and take a little picture and toss that up because um, I'm sure we would all eat that up because that would be awesome. So <laughs> – Put an order in for a Crab Army baby shirt. I'll fund it. Start a start a GoFundMe for that. <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but that yeah, Rotoware.com. Do we do we have a promo code? Is it Sagnoff for twenty percent off? It is. Yes, twenty percent off Sagnoff. That is S A G N O F. Put that in there. Love it. Love it. Love it. So how about some Josh Josh Okami? Um, big guy, left side. I saw some perfect game tape of him actually. And the funniest thing that when I first saw him was that I thought there was almost a little bit more weight transfers looked better swing wise at the perfect game than what I saw recently from some of the spring training video I saw. But then again, I started digging into it and started understanding that a lot of his swing kind of seems to come from his upper body. 
And I think that the Sox, to some extent, were trying to focus on that and really bring that out as opposed to incorporating everything into his swing. He's a strong kid. He's big. But it's one of those things where, again, you go back to the side of, is this just kind of a super utility guy? Where is exactly the role? Uh, John, do you have any insight on this as far as where Oakme actually ends up, if, if at all, on a major league roster? Uh, sure. Uh, I think he's a DH for me. Um, I watched him play first base quite a bit and the dude's got stone hands. <laughs> everything <laughs> bounces off of his, <laughs> everything bounces right out of his glove. But, um, anyway, I love the bat. He, um, I, he, he ran into some struggles in Greenville second half, but a lot, you know, part of that was fatigue going 140 games for the first time. Part of that was he got a little pull happy. I, when he's at his best, he's staying back, shooting the ball left, left, center, and with authority. But you're right. You know, he doesn't incorporate his legs a whole lot. Um, yeah, he can do damage. You know, he's a, he's a type of hitter who, again, does a swing design for Fenway, and he can crush a baseball. It would be, be interesting to see. I hope he stays in the Red Sox system because he's got a chance to be pretty special. Maybe uh, maybe a little Mo Vaughnish when he gets when he gets up there. We can yeah. we can only hope we can only hope. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I see he's big and then I see his height and weight and I see it's only six one two fifteen and that kind of confused yeah. me a ton. I don't really know if I just assumed he was larger, but um, but that kind of the mobility side of it hurts. It's it's it hurts a little bit for the prospect status as a whole. But Mo, Mo is an interesting comp. I think I kind of oddly agree with it because the walk rate is up there. It's 14% um, through the minor leagues. I, I almost feel like he's a bit Mitch Moreland-y aside from the glove. He's, Moreland's always been a good glove. And as you mentioned, John, he's not the best with the glove. But I, I feel like 360 OBP at the major league level isn't insane. Like a 260, 360 kind of guy where he's just walking a ton to get on base, which makes sense in the DH spot. But I mean, overall, I don't see if I know if I see more than that. I don't, I don't know, Ralph, do you have anything that can enlighten us on, on Oakme's future role wise with the Red Sox. But I think I'm relatively skeptical overall with it. Yeah. I think that he is a, uh, I, I, I think that he is a DH only player. I think it's just obvious when, whenever you watch him, um, he's one of these guys that, that had definitely struggled last year um, as he started to get pull happy as, as John had mentioned. Um, and he's easy to shift on when that's the case. So, you know, he, he had a, a real struggle uh, actually in 2016 where he slashed 315, 456, 568 with nine homers from April to June. And then after that, slashed 179, 311, 335. Um, so I think he made some adjustments to his swing and he talked about it uh, in the, you know, coming in, coming into the season. And it's one of the reasons that he hit for a higher average and was still able to incorporate that walk rate. So I think he's still going to swing and miss, but it was nice to see that there was some improvement there uh, year over year. And, uh, you know, I think he has quick hands. He's got good bat speed. He has a lot of raw power. And I think he could carve out a niche, at least as a, a platoon player. I don't know if he's necessarily a guy that's that's going to be, a, you know, a future Red Sox player, the way the organization is, the way baseball is right now. They sort of need stars at these corner uh, infield, you know, corner outfield and DH positions in terms of, you know, impact bats. And I don't know if he's ever going to be there. But, uh, you know, I could see him being sort of like a poor man's Chris Davis or someone like that. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a Mo Vaughn type. I mean, Mo Vaughn was a was a AL MVP. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah, I, I, to some extent, there is some we're projecting it probably out a little bit too, too far if we say the Mo Vaughn comp. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those things like 25 percent K rate. 
I think he can be productive with it, like with the OBP, and it's going to be one of those odd profiles. But I don't. I, I agree. The upside probably isn't insane, but he's interesting overall. He's a guy to keep an eye on. But as we're saying, I think it ends up as DH. He feels like if he ever gets into a solidified role, he's going to be one of those guys that a fan base of a team, even if it's not the Red Sox, is always wondering if they're going to upgrade over him. So, which is probably isn't a good way to live your life as a major leaguer, but uh, you know, if you get there, you can get there to some extent. But uh, another one of the of the Red Sox 2017 drafts picks, pick, excuse me, is Cole Brannon. Um, smaller guy, a little bit different of a profile than we were looking at with Okami and even Chavis and some of these other guys and Sam Travis. But um, Brandon, I was watching some perfect game video. Um, he's still really, really young. Is the other thing that's actually something I realized in a lot of these guys that that the Red Sox drafted in 2017. Um, weren't kind of those college bats or college arms that we're used to seeing a lot of teams kind of pick up. I think the Red Sox went relatively young straight through for the first couple of rounds, first couple of picks here, but Brandon as a whole, I, I not, can't say I'm in love with him as, as overall swing wise, but the speed's there and the gloves probably there. So it's one of those things where can you project out the tools on the hit side, um, 200 plate appearances and rookie ball, basically no isolated power at all, which is not really too, doesn't make me too enthusiastic about how that's going to develop as a whole, but um, there's a reason they took him in the top four rounds. So I, I'm interested to see what that reason is, Ralph. I don't know if you know, particularly if they see him kind of as just another utility guy, but I feel like this is kind of a recurring topic here with, with the Red Sox is some of these guys just, we're not sure on the roles. We're not sure on how big of an impact they can have. Yeah. I think that uh, maybe you're underselling Brandon a little bit. Um, all right, all I think right. the thing with him is uh, he is an up the middle, you know, sort of speed contact, defense player i think he's a guy that ultimately if you want to project him out uh you want him to be maybe a, a 10 to, to 15 homer hitter with some speed i think maybe aj pollock ultimately is what you would hope his ceiling potentially could be i've heard you know that the the power could come along he's still very raw uh in in that regard but he's an interesting talent um and i think he's somebody that you know bring it back to sort of fantasy leagues you could take a a, a shot on in a really deeply later on in your draft. And if you can hold on to him for a few years, there's a chance this guy could develop into something. I think it could take four or five years for him to sort of get to that point that he's you know, solidified as a legitimate everyday major league outfielder. Um, but I think the defense is there. He's got the tools. He's got some bat speed. He's very quick. He's instinctual on the bases. He can steal bases. Um, and I, I, I think that's exciting. And that's kind of exciting from a fantasy standpoint. So he's a little bit different from some of the players the Red Sox have developed over the, the last, you know, let's say 10 years, he sort of harkens back to maybe somebody like a Jacoby Ellsbury, which I think ultimately that's the type of player uh, you hope Cole Brandon develops into. Mm-hmm. And, and as far as percentiles go and kind of what's the, what do you, what do you think the likelihood he actually gets to that kind of profile is Ralph? Um, I would say it's probably, uh, Greater than 50%, I'd say maybe 60%. Okay. Now, I'm going to say the part of his tool, uh, his tool bag, I was going to say his tool bag. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's his tool bag. <laughs> the, the, the part of his, of, his, of his tool set, I think that uh, might get underplayed a little bit, is he, is he has an excellent approach for a really raw prep hitter. I mean, he walked in the teens in rookie ball. Um, and that can't be undersold. So he, he, he does have good pitch recognition skills. I think it's just a matter of him tapping into his power. And uh, he's going to have a full year now in, in the you know professional rank as a professional player to develop his body, develop some of that power, 
and I think he's got time to do that. So if that's the part of his game that I have to worry, I have to worry about. Um, I think even with this environment, I think he can get there. So yeah, I think I'll I'll, I'll be conservative and say sixty percent, but I think that Cole Brand- Brandon might be maybe the highest upside hitter in this entire system right now. I like that. I like that. That's that's pretty bold to me. I don't understand that. John, what are your thoughts on Mr. Brandon here? I'm kind of with Ralph. I was excited. I was happy with this pick. I uh, Red Sox are lacking in uh, upside, up the middle, athletic types, and the you know, and the more the merrier with him. You know, it's the type of guy who can uh, be be special. You know, he can be a he can be a 330 type, and it, the the power. We got to wait and see with the power. But you know, there's there's potential, and you know, and there's not a lot of that in this system. So um, I applaud him, you know, for for picking an athlete, and we'll see what see what it comes for, see what it comes out of it. We've got a long way to go with them. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's the case for the majority of the guys on these lists on this list, particularly. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I apologize. For sure. <laughs> maybe I, I maybe it's a little bit of lower lower on Brandon the most, but um. I think the Pollock comp's interesting. Maybe Pollock's power. I'm not sure if I see that all in there for him particularly. <laughs> if you can play up the middle with the glove, like we see a lot of guys like that, like uh, like Tyler Wade-ish guys, you know, where we're not really sure where the bat is going to go upside-wise, but good enough defensively to play mm. major league second base and probably play it above average. So um, I can mm. see that. And I think that at the value they got him with, I think that's reasonable as well. The fact that a Sox fan is, is, is probably more interested in him than some other guys is – is big to me. Like that's big. He's, he's seven on your list, Ralph. I feel like I've seen him on top 10 on pretty much every other list I've looked at. So um, people know who he is and I'm interested to see where he goes. Um, maybe we can pick up the pacer. I'm not really sure what our timing is, but we got a couple more guys to go through. Actually, we're almost like halfway through, but uh, we're at the hour-ish mark, I think. Um, I don't know how to say this last name. I'm going to call him Mike. Mike Schwarin? Warren. Mike Schwarin. Schwarren, that's one <laughs> syllable, two syllables. Wow, it feels like fun. yeah, but yeah. yeah Mike, you go back to sidearm delivery, Ralph. This is this is sidearm. We were looking at Hawk a little bit ago. This is another guy like that. Um, I've heard it called <laughs> unique, and I've also heard it called gross. So uh, take your pick. I don't really know which one you want to fall on there. Um, struggled a little bit late in college, fell to the fifth round, and it ended up being a guy who I think many considered a huge value pick to some extent. Um, he's a little bit older. I think he was 23-ish or something. But um, I, I don't know. I think there's some might be something relatively there with him. I don't think his his delivery is as gross as some see it. But um, the K rate fell a little bit around to around 20%, 26%, excuse me, when he jumped up to high A and the walk rate sticking around that 10% that we see. And majority of these Sox prospects are kind of in that window there. So nothing particularly interesting aside from the delivery itself with Schwarnin, I don't know. I'm Schwarber, Schwarber, Schwarnin. Warren, Schwarren, like, Schwarren? Schwarren? like it's like Warren Schwarren with a schwa. A, schwa, schwa. So it's Schwarren. Warren, jeez, wow. You can't say Anthropolis, and I can't say Schwarren. <laughs> but, but John, do you have any thoughts on on Schwarren? Well, you kind of, you kind of mentioned he he's another low three quarter pitcher, and uh, again, you don't you don't know. You know, fastball slider, you don't know how, how the third pitch is going to play. And you don't know if he can turn over the lineup two, three times. So potential for three, four starter, more likely he's probably a seventh, seventh, eighth inning arm again, or maybe a multiple, multi, multi inning arm. Um, 
I hear his name. I, I I tried two or three times to get down there to watch him pitch, and he never and he and I just kept missing him. So, but I'm interested to hear Ralph's take. It, I think he's got a chance to be solid. Um, nice find in the fifth round. Yeah, and I actually like his slider a lot. Uh, I know there was some discussion in the Baseball America chat uh, because of the ranking of uh, Tanner Hawk's slider over Schwarren's. Now, I, I haven't seen Schwarren's slider live and in person, uh, but I've seen it on tape enough, and I've seen him on, like, MILB TV, and I think it's pretty damn good. So uh, I like I like Schwarren a lot. I think that he ultimately could be like a like a multi inning reliever type swing guy. I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be uh, a mid rotation starter. I think that his absolute ceiling would be like a a fourth starter that's pretty good. Maybe has like a you know an eight or a nine K rate. But I I think he has the ability because of sort of the funkiness of his delivery, the you know how difficult it is for even like you know righties to pick up the ball out of his hands. I think he could be a very effective reliever, and those K rates could stick around. He's been a double-digit K rate guy since coming into the majors, and he threw a lot of innings this year. So maybe it shouldn't be underrated. Maybe maybe even I'm underrating Schwarren a little bit, but he was 23 in A ball. So, uh, I, you know, we, we should factor that in as well, that, that there should be some context yeah. to that number. Now, I, I wanted to sort of – do you have anything else to say about Schwarren? I know he's not somebody that you're terribly familiar with, Lance. Nah, I think I'm good on Schwarren. Uh, I like the fact that you're bringing up the slider and you're comparing it to Hux because I, I like the projectability of Hux becoming a sweeping slider of sorts and becoming very effective from the right side. But Schwarren, I, I can't say I, I've seen enough to have a strong opinion one way or the other, but it just seems like a pen arm to me, unfortunately. But uh, where were you going to go next, Ralph? I wanted to go with Jalene uh, Jil- Beeks, who's kind of interesting. He's a 24-year-old lefty. Um, in uh in triple a and he and he put up really really good numbers this year i think between two levels he was uh 11 and 8 145 innings pitch 329 era 121 whip 155 k's so it was more than a k per inning um i feel like he's kind of a sleeper he's got a low mid 90s fastball i did see some of them he's got a uh high 80s sort of sinking two seamer um he's got a mid 70s curveball he's got a cutter as well also throws a mid-80s change. So, I mean, he is all over the map in terms of velocity and movement. Um, I think he has sort of an, out, an outside chance to potentially be an outs, uh, a decent back end of the rotation starter um, in the major leagues, or at least a pretty good middle reliever. But he's got like five pitches. Um, I was impressed. I didn't know who he was really. I don't know if John knows anything about him, but he sort of popped up on my radar this year, and I, I wasn't too familiar with Beeks part of this i saw him late in 2015 he was having a hard time finishing his fastball or his curve but i like the uh i really like the sinker and the uh the cutter was nice he was getting lit up and i think he was just tired it was late in the year um but i was watching i saw a lot of 9091 um i understand he typically sits a little fat little a little higher than that um, I don't know. You know, I, I've been hearing I've been hearing the the reliever book, uh, the reliever on him for a long time. But all he did, you know, he had a hell of a year starting in AAA. Yeah, I think we uh, should give him a try. You know, like I said, he's not short on pitching. He's he's got a lot of pitches, and uh, <laughs> you know, sinker slider to sinker cutter curve. <laughs> 
he's he's kind of the the anti Henry Owens. He's like a, a left handed starter with a whole bunch yeah. of pitches that actually has performed well at AAA for an extended period of time. I mean, um, you know, he had a, a, an excellent run at the beginning of the year, but he had you know in, in AA, but he had 17 starts in AAA. So I mean, his numbers mm-hmm. were good across the board, and he was the best starter for the Paw Sox I've probably seen since Eduardo Rodriguez. Wow. Um, and that's that's pretty easy. Um, and there's been a lot of uh, shit bums, uh, pardon my <laughs> French, to come th- to come through there over the last few years, you know, seriously. So um, I don't know. I think Beeks is an outside. He's a guy that's not talked about enough uh, by Red Sox fans oh. in the Red Sox system. I don't even think he was mentioned very much uh, in the Baseball America um, uh, chat or even write-up. So, yeah, I'm, interest- I'm interested to see what happens with Beeks next year. I think he's sort of an outside sleeper guy. Lance, did you have a chance to take a look at him at all? you have any, any thoughts on Beeks? Yeah, I did. Actually, the thing I was most interested in is, you know, you see guys protected by Rule 5. He was added to the 40-man for the Sox, so that implies, yep. number one, that the Sox like him a lot. Um, they're willing to do that and protect him and bring him up to the 40-man. And I also kind of feel like he ends up honestly probably on the Penn side of things sometime this year. In, in the major league level, though, I think. I think that he's going to get a look. I bet he makes his debut this year. Um, yeah, it's overall, it's interesting. Pretty high glove arm. I think he hides the ball pretty well from the angles I was watching him. So I feel like that plays into all the pitches themselves, too, which will help a ton. I'd be interested to see at the major league level which they prefer he focus on. Obviously, they're stronger pitches, but he has so many. I'm interested to see if there's a pitching coach up there that can, or someone pitcher-wise even, that could tell him to focus on certain aspects of his repertoire to kind of push that forward and allow him to be a little bit more of an effective kind of three, maybe even four-pitch reliever. So he doesn't really turn into a lefty specialist to me too much because I'm sure some of those pitches play up to righties a little bit better. So he seems kind of like a long man. And I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if we've seen too many lefty long men. I mean, we're talking about Josh Hader, but that's a little bit different of a story, but yeah, I, I think he's going to come up this year. I think you see him this year. I bet Sox fans are going to get familiar. I'd be interested to see how willing they are to give him a start if, if the opportunity arises, but um uh, yeah, I don't know. Ten on the list is interesting, Ralph. Did you have any thoughts bringing him higher? Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention this. Uh, Henry Owens has now been jettisoned out. Uh, Brian Johnson is out of options. So the Red Sox uh, don't have a whole lot of close-to-the-majors arms uh, that they don't have to go out and sign. And yeah. I think in that regard, with the amount of innings that he threw last year, you know, reaching that 140 mark, there's an opportunity for him to be a shuttle starter and get maybe 10 starts to the Red Sox. And if he looks pretty good, um, or maybe they can make some tweaks, Dreamline make some more improvements. Um, I think there's an outside shot that he could be sort of a, a sleeper arm, even in the Red Sox system, which seems strange to think that there could be guys that could be totally slept on as left-handed starters yeah. in the Red, Red Sox system. But I think there's an opportunity with him on the 40-man and everything else. It just It sort of adds up that he could be an outside guy to potentially get some starts in Boston next year. And I think in this system, that gives him some value because there isn't a lot of close-to-the-majors talent that could give you good innings or good at-bats, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very good point. And I guess let's jump now. I think we were talking a little bit about Dalback actually, in our little group as we were coordinating this podcast here. Um, Ralph, you like Dalbeck a lot, and I believe you've kind of soured on him a bit. And I have. You wanted to bring him up, so... I'll leave this conversation to you guys because Ralph, why do you not like him? And John, why'd you bring him up? Let's start with Ralph. 
Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll say that uh, I, you know it's not that I, I haven't liked him so much. I was disappointed in in this year because I had really leaned in pretty heavy on him coming out of the draft. I thought he looked excellent when I watched him in Lowell. He struck out a lot, but there was a lot of power there, and you could really see him as you know potentially having a ceiling of like a a 30, 35 homer bat, uh, you know, at third base because he's got a gun of an arm. He was a pitcher for Arizona as well, and you know pitched in that College World Series run back in uh, back in 2016. So. I was just disappointed with this year, but I, I figured out that it was a hammond injury. I think he had a hand injury and some issues there. Uh, but I know I've 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 turned a corner, and uh, I'm going to concede here to John, who's the one that sort of changed my opinion on him, and uh, I think has a pretty good take on Dahlbeck. So, uh, John, take it away. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a, a big Dahlbeck guy. I uh, I. First of all, we saw we kind of saw two Dahlbecks down in Greenville this year. Um, Came out early and was a ton of oppo contact, tons of right, right center, and with power, right? And uh, he could really punish a baseball. He was still kind of striking out, maybe in the high 20s. Um, and then he, he, he I, I was under the impression he hurt his shoulder, but I guess he hurt his, he hurt his hand, uh, missed two, and came back. He was a lot more strikeout, a lot more pull happy. Uh, I think if he can get back, get back to, you know, using the whole field, um, I think that I think he can be a 250, 260, 30, 35 kind of guy. The power is legit. It's 70 raw. Um, you just if he's, you know, if he's if he's pulling, he's pulling off the ball. He's still, you know, he's uh, he's he's cheating the barrel. He's he's going to put himself in position where he's just going to be beat by off speed. He's got to stay back and let the ball travel. I don't yeah. know. I think it's in him. I'd like to 2018 is going to be a big year for him. I, I assume he did enough to go to Salem. But yeah. um, if he can. Wanna... Um... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm done. Oh, no <laughs> We're vying for airtime here. No, it's good. I want to ask you, John, actually. Um, yeah. So I was watching him and you got you got looks at him, but I didn't live, obviously. But. Um, as a whole, I was actually kind of surprised to see the, like the stupid high 30, whatever percent, 80, 38% K rate in the fact that there wasn't anything that jumped out to me in his swing as it being particularly long as a problem. Mm. So that I go back immediately and think that it might be breaking ball recognition. Is that something that you saw a lot that it's just a, it's a recognition problem? Because if it is a recognition problem, that seems much more fixable to me than redoing someone's mechanics and retaining that much power. So my thinking is if they could get him to recognize breaking balls better and, and improve on that aspect, then that K rate falls six, 7% in a year, year and a half, which I think is viable. If you could fix it, then you're looking at a guy with a manageable K rate. Whereas at the moment, I don't think it's really manageable with that much raw power, the 70 raw power. So I, I what's, what do you think the path forward is to him actually becoming a major league talent, John? Well, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know if it, Again, I just think he, uh, if he's staying back, letting him, he's, he, when he's, he's pulling everything, right? When I saw him in the second half, I saw about four games. He hit 11 of the, you know, he was, everything he put in play was, was, was third base or home run over the left field wall. And, but he struck out eight, nine times. And, uh, <laughs> I just think if he's staying back and shooting the ball to right, right center, he's less fooled by the spin. And, um, I don't know, you know. Um, 
what's your take? What's your take on that, Ralph? You you seem to agree emphatically that he needs to, you know, maybe maybe work on picking up spin. Yeah, I think ultimately that's what it is, and that's what I had thought it was in college when you watched him because he had a he had a really rough uh, last season at the plate, and uh, he sort of you know was rejuvenated a little where he, where he crushed the ball, um, but he was seeing a lot of fastballs, and this is a guy that just murders mm. fastballs. Um, mm. So if 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 he can learn to sort of stay off of the stuff in the dirt, not swing at mm-hmm. that. I mean, he he gets fooled Best. pretty badly at times. Uh, I think ultimately that will go a long way if that he could corral that a little bit um, and sort of not chase stuff and not get as anxious for, you know, sort of to, to always sort of hit a homer. Um, I think that, you know, if he can drive the ball the other way, like, you know, John was saying he was doing early in the season and sort of what he, I saw him doing at Lowell. Uh, and I don't know if that was, you know, off the heels of that, that college World Series run, but he just looked like a relaxed, you know, professional player. And uh, that sticks out and it, it sort of, Short season A ball, but really it's it's advanced rookie ball, and that's what I saw with him. Um, yeah, and I was going to say let's let's jump into a couple of other guys here real quickly. I don't want to spend too much time. Um, one of them being sort of Jake uh, Thompson, Oregon State guy, right-handed starter. Um, I thought this guy from this Red Sox draft could be uh, the player that reaches the major leagues the, the quickest. I think he's sort of a back end of the rotation starter, but could be just a really solid floor pitcher. You know, for fantasy, you're really only targeting this guy uh, in deeper leagues. But, you know, this guy did go 14-0 and with a 1.52 uh, ERA and a .95 whip. Um, it was an 8.5, you know, caper nine. He's got a three-pitch mix, uh, mid to high 90s fastball. Get some plus grades there. He's got a, a slider that, you know, with some pretty hard break. And uh, his changeup is sort of fringe. So I guess the only question with him uh, would be, you know, relief re- relief potentially because of the two pitches. But uh, he's been a starter, and he's been pretty good in college. And he wasn't terrible in pro ball, but he only threw about 11 innings. Uh, Lance, I know you're a draft guy. What are your thoughts on Jake Thompson? You hit everything pretty well right there. The the thing that jumps out to you when you watch him is his extreme tilt. He literally becomes parallel to the ground with his torso when he throws. Oh, yeah. Arm is like, <laughs> it's kind of wild. Like, I feel like it's a little bit old school. And I kind of deep down like it for some reason. I normally know why. I feel like I'd normally hate something like that. But, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting overall. Like, he's a bit of a college arm that's a little bit polished with the good slider and the fastball, as you're saying. I'm interested to see. We were talking about uh groom earlier with the the development of his slider becoming an early pitch kind of a lower velocity and a higher put away pitch at a higher velocity and then towards the higher 70s as opposed to the lower 70s but a guy like jake thompson to me if he gets into that fourth fifth starter role i'd be interested to see if other pitches come in but even if he starts to spot that slider a little bit better right now i think it's more of just an out pitch and he's got to be able to throw that earlier than counts if he wants to develop into a starter in my opinion but uh, Jake, Jake Thompson, John, was this something you ju- that jumped out to you as being a funky delivery? We've seen some funky deliveries in this system. Yeah, he's got he's got another. Yeah, he's a player I'm looking forward to seeing coming out of rookie ball. Um, yeah, good stuff. Um, funky delivery, like you said, and not easy to pick up. Um, curious to see if there's a third pitch and uh, how it comes along. Or if he's just going to be a two-pitch starter, which certainly more difficult, but he does have a he does have very good stuff. So maybe he another multi-inning reliever. Um, 
A lot of those in this group. <laughs> yeah, right? It seems like we got so many of those guys in this system right now. Well, maybe we'll just hey. stack them. They'll all be the fifth starter. We'll start one. They'll just go two, two, we'll, two, uh, two. We'll, we'll, hire, we'll, we'll hire Brian Kenny once Dave Dombrowski doesn't win a championship, and ultimately this all goes down in flames when Yohan Moncada becomes the next Mike Trout. Um, it's not happening, but I just... I'm just giving you like like the doomsday scenario, um, and then maybe we can hire Brian Kenny to run the organization, and we'll have all these multi inning relievers, and he can have his dream uh, relief st- uh, starter uh, team that that he wants of like one two inning pitchers and bullpenning and and that whole thing. But uh, John, I want to get your your take quickly. Did you see any CJ Chatham this year? No, yeah, he was activated for all of one day, and then he injured himself sliding into second, went right back on the DL. Oof. I missed See, that I'm, game. I'm, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know a lot about C.J. Chatham. I know that there was some, some, some buildup with him coming out of the draft, that he was a good glove, it could hit a little bit, was sort of mm-hmm. like your, your solid all-around shortstop. But I haven't seen enough of him. I haven't read enough scouting reports on him. Lance, I don't know if you have any takes on CJ Chatham whatsoever. I'm digging for information on the chat, man. I saw uh, a little bit of spring training, actually, backfields video of him on YouTube. Um, yeah, there's nothing there as far as any data goes that we can look at as far as stats. You know, even with some of these guys, we see like 10 inning sample, we could kind of start to figure something out with him. But Chatham, there's really nothing there. I did see that the glove was basically his calling card. I'm not the biggest fan of his swing. What I saw, I think it's extremely long. A lot of a lot of movements, really raw. I don't really know if he's going to generate a lot of hard contact unless he adjusts, which is going to be a problem for him. But again, like you see guys like this with the glove, they could kick up through the minor leagues with their glove alone, especially if he's decent on the speed side of things too. But uh, that's all I saw. And again, he's one of these guys where you just kind of shrug because you're not really too sure because we don't really have the data aside from just the looks I saw. But I can't say I'm a big fan of his swing, now. Nice. Well, I wanted to jump into another uh, starter here that I think you wanted to mention, Lance. And that's a guy I was high on last year, and he had a rough year. And that's uh, Ryanel Rods, or Rodes. Yeah. Rodes, I believe it game. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's got a really, really clean delivery, and that's what jumped out to me. Um, I'll toss out the comp just because – it's crazy and it might make zero sense to everyone, which is exactly what I try to aim for with everything I say. Hunter Green, as far as how clean and the arm action is in the delivery, it's not a, it's not a good comp at all, but it's what I thought of when I first saw because I know that's one of the reasons I love Hunter Green. But this kid is doesn't throw hard either. Probably is probably why it's a terrible comp for Hunter Green because he sits like <laughs> low 90s, high 80s, and Hunter Green's pumping 100. Mm. But uh. But Rouds, yeah, he's interesting. And that's the thing. He's, he's clean. It's got good command. He's stretched out. He's got like 117 innings at a high A. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of interested overall in, in kind of the command laps because he had really good command early in his career. Yeah. And usually you don't see that change drastically as you move up, especially it, for the most part, unless guys are swinging really early in counts or – he's getting them to just bite on a pitch that higher guys and minors aren't biting on. But I couldn't find particularly why the, uh, why the control kind of started to lapse, especially with this clean delivery. And I couldn't actually even find too much split issues on it. If it's, if it was like a couple months thing and then he fixed it, just postures mechanics. But I, I don't really know. I feel like deep down, 
I mean, we're talking about all these relievers here. This guy, you have him, I think, outside of the top 15, Ralph. I probably would have him maybe barely inside the top 15. So I can't say I disagree with you leaving him off the list. But we're looking at so many of these guys and we're seeing reliever projection. I almost, for some reason, feel like Rouds can be a five with this command. He feels like a makeup-wise, like not comp-wise at all, not prospect value-wise at all, Sororica, where it's just from the from the Braves, where it's, super good control and to some extent that can play up and propel you through the minors. But the thing is like, I, I just don't know if that, if that walk lapse was, is going to be what we have coming into 2018. I don't know if John, you, you have a, an opinion on that, but, or if you know, if you know why the control kind of lapsed or if you think it's kind of just a blip. Yeah, not really sure. Uh, I saw him last year. He was 89, 91 pounding the zone with three pitches. Yeah. Um, I think maybe he was trying to overthrow, but it's hard to imagine somebody overthrowing for a season. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> like, he's trying to kick up the 94? Like, I, I don't know. If he's got three pitches, he's sitting 91, I, he could go. The problem with 89-91, though, the problem with 89-91, though, what, does he have a relief upside? I don't know mm. if he has a relief floor. Because Yeah, that's the thing. Maybe what's he going to jump to, 92? It's true. And I, I think the shine is sort of off of him because the control wasn't as good. And he was incredibly hittable. And I think what we saw was last year against lower-level competition, he was more advanced in terms of his control, uh, his mm-hmm. sequencing, and the fact that you know he would change speeds, had a changeup that he could throw for strikes in addition to his fastball. And I think the numbers sort of ticked up because of that. This year he was unbelievably hittable. Uh, his batting average against was in the 280s. Um, you know, his whip was 150. It was like 1.19 last year. That was his strength. This was going to be a ratio guy. Totally lost that. And I think the most damning number that I saw when you look at his statistical profile is he had a 30% line drive right rate against. That means people were barreling the shit out of this guy's fastball. <laughs> Uh, you know, when you see a thirty a thirty percent live line drive rate, oh my god, that is bananas. It's it's like I just want to know what happened. Like he'd be one of those guys. Like if I had credentials anywhere minor league wise, yeah, I'd go ask him. You know, like what what changed? Was it mechanics? Was it pitches? Was it just better hitting? Like I don't know. It almost feels like he was like tipping his pitches for a season. Thirty percent line drive rate is wild. You know, yeah, Here. it's absolutely crazy. One guy I want to bring up in passing. I think he's the like ultimate uh, utility guy. That's Marco Hernandez. Is there anything I should think about Marco Hernandez other than he's just going to be a bench bat uh, utility player for major league teams for like 20 years and he's finally going to retire and still only have like 80 home runs? Or is there more there and I'm selling Marco Hernandez short, guys? That sounds about right. Okay. But he's uh, he's going to be very valuable this year with Pedroia on the shelf for two months. We'll we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. I'm interested. I'm interested to see what they do if they sign if they sign a veteran to sort of uh, fill in for for a little bit. I'm 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 interested to see what they do there. I can't imagine that Marco Hernandez is going to fill in for you know two months potentially for Dustin Pedroia. I feel like they'll they'll go and sign like uh, Chase Utley to to play for two months and. <laughs> <laughs> figure it out or something, you know, I don't know. Is that even a free agent? He's a free agent, isn't he? Uh, yeah, someone will sign sure. Good clubhouse yeah. guy, right? Come on. 
Yeah, it could be the Red Sox. I'm telling you, it, it might be Dombrowski. You know, he, he'd do something like that. Um, I want to kick it to John. Do you have any sleepers here? I know there was one guy that I was sort of digging on. That was uh, Lorenzo Cedrola. Is that, am I saying yeah, that correctly? You... I won't be. Lorenzo Cedrola had season-ending uh, surgery, I think, on his ankle. But for a 19-year-old, huh. the slash line was pretty good. 285, 322, yeah. 387, four homers, 19 RBIs. Uh, went to the opposite field 35% of the time. Uh, 36% fly ball rate with uh, with that speed as well. So I, I kind of like the profile. I, I like what I saw here. If he could develop a little bit of power, I know I haven't seen any firsthand looks. I don't know if you got any, but he's a very intriguing sort of off-the-radar prospect for me in this system. <laughs> I got several looks. He's, a, he's interesting. Um, he's kind of like Cole Brannon in that he's um, – Excellent defensive center fielder, plus speed, handles the bat really well. Um, there's just load. He just all hands, um, slapping the ball around. Okay. I don't know if I see somebody with that's going to even hit 15 home runs at his peak, unless there's a an overhaul with uh, you know incorporating the legs a little bit more. He's got a little bit Manny Margo in him, but he's Manny Margo is stronger and. Uh, I think Margo can be a 20 homer guy. Yeah. But I don't know if I see Cedrola being anything more than like a fourth, fifth outfielder. Okay. Like bench speed guy. But he's interesting. All right. Um, like this I, is very interesting. <laughs> I wanted to hit you with a couple more guys here as we sort of finish up the podcast. I want to go too long here. Um, one being uh, Darwinson. Hernandez, another uh, 20-year-old lefty. Did you get any looks at him, and what were sort of your initial impressions? I know he sort of got prototypical size and kind of stuff. Um, yeah. What's what's another, your take on Hernandez? Sure. I got one look early. He's uh, another guy with, uh, with uh, low three-quarters, uh, fast arm, nasty on lefties. He's um, pitch. When I was watching him pitch, it felt like I was watching Dice K pitch. It was just a lot of seven pitch at bats, a lot of uh, um, if he's gonna if, dirty jokes, a lot of yeah, dirty he jokes can be a guy. about hookers and stuff. No, he can be he can, <laughs> he can be a fourth in, he could be a four inning pitcher, a four inning starting pitcher. He could be a nasty uh, he could be a nasty. You know, he's got a nasty uh, curve. I understand he started throwing throwing a slider, which makes more sense. The curve he could never throw for a strike, so if he if it didn't if people didn't chase it, it was it was not going to be a, an effective pitch. It was a people a lot of people were chasing at this level. I wondered how it was going to play play at the higher levels, but the slider I understand is a uh, pretty 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 electric and he uh, and more natural with his with the lower with the low uh, with the low uh, three quarter delivery. So I'm looking for you know looking forward to watching his development. I, he can be another multi inning reliever, may possibly <laughs> late starter, <laughs> but this from is, the left side, and he's got a f- electric fastball. So we should we should just call this uh, this podcast the Boston <laughs> Red Sox uh, hitting prospects and 
long long relievers and Borps back end of the rotation uh, <laughs> pitchers. So we got we got Borps and and M and uh, MRs. That's what we got on this podcast. Uh, one other guy I wanted to mention quickly. I don't think we have to dig in on him too much. Was Danny Diaz, who was signed for one point six million. Uh, he was a shortstop when he signed. He's going to move over to third base. I've heard sort of plus approach at the plate, uh, potential plus plus power. Uh, that's sort of interesting. Obviously, they they had a tragic uh, sort of passing happen with uh, Vinny Flores, who arguably was one of the top players in this international class that they had signed for four million dollars. Though a lot of Sox fans have asked if they'll get that money back, but no, it, this isn't. Uh, everybody gets a trophy. They do not get their money back. Uh, for having a player that unfortunately passed from cancer. Kind of a really wacky thing. He was a top-catching prospect, legitimately was a top one-two prospect in this class. I actually owned him in an open universe league, but I'm going to have to talk to uh, Lance about offline, giving me a little bit of help. But uh, I thought I wanted to mention him sort of here, too. And, yeah, I think that's everybody I wanted to mention. John, was there anybody else you wanted to bring up as a potential sleeper? Or Lance, was there anyone else you wanted to bring up? I'll kick it to John. He's got the he's got the deeper knowledge here on the Sally League system. So uh, yeah, you have five minutes. You can talk about whoever you want. <laughs> yeah, I just want to, I don't need I need five minutes to bring up Brett Netzer real quick. Third round pick. I uh, got to see him in the second half. He's uh, a bat for second baseman. Um, they were they were throwing words throwing words around in Greenville like professional hitter. He could really uh, he was slapping line drives around the yard. Uh, don't know if I saw hey, maybe a passable glove. I don't know if I saw even twenty home runs. It's yeah, it's just low line drives and sharp grounders around the diamond. Perhaps there's something there if he can alter his swing angle. Um, he was a senior sign, so he's going to be 24 next year. But somebody to watch. Maybe Chad Delagora. I just saw he did well in Double A this year. He's a he's a he's a very he's a good glove man, short second utility type. Somebody to watch. Um, that's about it. Nice, Lance. Do you have any closing thoughts on this uh, atrocity that is the Red Sox middle relief system? Future. <laughs> Future middle relievers of America and utility players. Uh, no, I don't have too much. Uh, I, I like I, I'm becoming more and more infatuated with Grom, I think. I don't know why, but um, I'm interested to see where he lands in my top 100. Um, that's kind of my passing thought, I would say. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to I'm going to sign off for here right now. John, why don't you tell the people where they can find you, who you are? what you're doing and, uh, you know, your credentials on uh, Twitter, all that sort of, you know, fun stuff. <laughs> uh, absolutely. My name is John Calvagno. I'm on Twitter at Cell Notes, capital S-A-L, capital N-O-T-E-S. And I, uh, I, I own a site called Notes from the Sally. Hopefully you guys have seen it. I, uh, I amateur scout the South Atlantic League and Happy League of Minor League Baseball. It's an honor to be here. These guys are great. Yeah. Um, John, thanks for coming on, man. The, the Sally Notes is a thing that I've, I've dug into, I think, recently as I've gotten much deeper into prospects in the minor league systems and stuff. So 
we I think everyone appreciates all the work you do. And it's nice to get someone with a lot of looks at guys that other people probably don't have a ton of line looks at. So, um, but yeah, me on Twitter, I'm at Lance Brosdow, uh, B-R-O-Z-D-O-W, last seven letters, my last name, Victory Sports, Razzball, Prospect Pod. I have a couple of columns that I'm going to be kicking through to, up to gray. So you'll see me back up on Razzball. I haven't been up on Razzball for a while. I've been trying to coordinate my schedule with everything going on. Uh, editor for Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network the moment a ton of fun stuff over there i've gotten into a lot of draft stuff recently me and ralph have been talking about that offline a little bit i'm very excited for the 2018 draft already which is crazy because it's december and this is easily the earliest i've ever gotten into it but um yeah i don't know there's probably other stuff kicking around i wrote a hater column that i liked a lot um dug into that change up a lot um a couple other things i this is a big week i've got a lot of stuff out uh wrote a finally published a huge column of mine that i wrote on the athletic um, the, the site obviously that is making some waves with their paywall model and stuff. So, uh, bit of out about and around and I'll be writing a ton in the next couple of weeks, got it off from work. So, um, some Christmas coming up for anyone that celebrates it new year's for everyone that celebrates it. I'm assuming everyone does. Um, you know, we, we wish you all the best from the Razzball crew. Uh, we'll have some content I think kicking around too. So when you are uh, done stuffing your face with your Christmas dinner, you can sit down and read ralph's prospect column and i'm sure a column i write on some random player who i like for fantasy so that's it it's the name of the game (laughs) exactly and this is uh ralph lifshitz uh you know started doing the podcast with gray this week we did a winter meeting show uh you can find me on twitter at prospect jesus because i'm very obnoxious so i like to call myself the prospect jesus uh but i'm going through all the systems now um i'm gonna have uh the uh colorado rockies that will come out on sunday I think I might rework my top 100 again, too. Just give you a quick update. Sort of every two months, they're going to put that out there. Uh, I've been doing the Fan Tracks baseball show with Andy. We had Emily Walden on this week. I've been talking to a lot of firsthand perspective scouts with Jason last week here on the pod. John this this week here on the pod. Uh, Emily on the base, Fan Tracks baseball show. Uh, obviously, Chris uh, Kusilek on the Fantrax baseball show a couple weeks ago. So I've been talking to a lot of firsthand scouts and getting a lot of inside knowledge, I feel, that I'm trying to apply uh, to all my write-ups, trying to do uh, everything here. So between the two podcasts and the show, I have about, uh, I guess, three-plus hours of recorded material every week, plus, you know, a couple of articles over on Razzball, uh, maybe writing, you know, a few more things as well, but we'll see. But uh, thanks for another great show, gentlemen. John, thanks for coming on. And uh, another week in the books. We'll, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Merry Christmas. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just 
$1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. 